Father, I just thank you for turf. I thank you, Lord, for everyone who's here. I pray right now that our hearts will then be um, ready to listen to your word, ready to, to open up to your, be open up to your truths. I pray, Father, that your spirit will move. You know, move in such a way that convicts us, that really empowers us, that shows us our weakness, strengthens our faith. So, Lord God, I pray that, that we, would, we would just really seek you out. So that, you know, every hardship we face, every pain that we feel will be taken by you. And we'll find ultimate comfort and peace in your name. So, God, we speak then through this message. We speak through me. May the words that come out of my mouth be yours. May your spirit move mightily in our hearts. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you, God, for this night. Pray all this in your holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. Tonight we'll continue our we'll continue our sermon series through Ephesians. Um, before before I get started into the text, I want to begin by addressing. Kind of what we see going on in, in our culture today, in our world today. There's a great divide that's happening throughout our culture, especially in America, right? We, we see division coming across this country. Um, division over politics. Division over gender issues. Over marriages. Poor versus rich. The privileged versus unprivileged. East Coast, West Coast, Best Coast, Least Coast, (laughs) NorCal, SoCal. There's division everywhere, right? There's division everywhere, and and there's nothing new about this necessarily, right? Ever since the fall of man, humanity has been just pitting itself against one another. We have wars. We have wars between nations, between tribes. Even between families, we got brother murdering brothers. We have, you know, the English imperialism that happened. We have the Chinese dynasties that were dividing against one another. Even the church itself faced division. Right. That's why we have everything from the Roman Catholics to the Reformation, and in all the denominations we have in today's church, all that comes from these splits and these divides that happen over time. It's, it's a great problem. And this is not what God has intended. Like God, God intended, when he created mankind, God intended us to be united. United underneath his image. And what his image contains of is the image of, of him in his fullness. God is three in one. He is Father, Son, and Spirit. And all three parts play in perfect union perfect harmony with one another, perfect balance. All three are different, yet all three are equal. They're so united together that they are indeed one person as Lord, or one God, the God Almighty. And that's what we were supposed to imitate in our relationship with one another. So then what hope is there for us who are so desperately broken in, our, in the way we communicate with one another, 
in the way we relate to one another. Right? When we struggle with sin issues like anger, with jealousy, with greed, this is, this is sin issues that relate to each other. Are they not? When we pride ourselves against others, when we seek our own glory at the expense of others, how then does the gospel unite such sinners like us together? That is what we're going to be looking at tonight. The title of my message tonight is The Spiritual Blessing of Community Reconciliation. And so if you have a Bible, it's going to turn to Ephesians chapter 2. The entire session we're going to be looking at this week and next week is from verse 11 to verse 22. Um, so we're going to break up that entire passage into two parts. This week we're going to cover verses 11 to 18. Next week, Pastor Terrence will cover verse 19 to 22. But in order to, to us to have a good scope, uh, an understanding of this entire passage, I'll go ahead and read verses 11 to 22. So, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. This is God's word. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from God, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh a dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to you who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer stranger and aliens, but you are in fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The first thing we will see in our passage is our hostility, our, our hostile position as Gentiles. Our hostile positions as Gentiles. We have this, we have this mentioned here in verse, in verse 11 and verse 12. The first thing Paul wants to do is humble us. He, he is writing to a, a church that's full of Gentile Christians. And he wants to remind the Ephesian church that their lives before Christ look very different. The descriptions here are applicable to us as well because we too are classified as Gentiles. If we were, if we were in the church at that time, we would be considered as Gentiles of non-Jewish descent. And so Paul here begins, begins with, a, begins saying this, therefore, referring back to verses 1 through 10, 
Therefore, our entire salvation, this whole personal salvation that we see in verses 1 through 10, how Christ changed our lives, saved us by the blood that he spilled, redeemed us for God's workmanship. All that lays the foundation for this truth that we're going to talk about tonight about church unity. Our personal union with Christ is the basis by which we are all united together. So Paul says here, therefore, wrapping up, wrapping up our previous state. And he says, therefore, because we are saved, because of all this, this is what he asks us to do. He says, remember. Remember. And he says that twice. Remember once here, remember in verse 12. Here we find the command to remember. Remember that one time you Gentiles in the flesh called uncircumcised by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Here's a description of who we were before we were saved. Considered how once we were separated from the Jews. Right? The Jews here, the Jews here were the ones being classified by the circumcision. These here were the Jews. But the Gentiles were the ones word on circumcision. This physical mark of circumcision was what identified Jews apart from the rest of the world. The Jewish males were circumcised and the rest of the world who weren't were called uncircumcision. And so as a result of that separation, Paul goes on to list, on, list out all the issues that we Gentiles face before coming to Christ. Verse 12, we see here that we are separated from Christ, meaning we are without hope of a promised Messiah. So there is no Messiah here. Meaning we have no Savior for our suffering, no Savior for our struggles, no Savior for our hardships, no Savior for our sins. Not only that, but we are alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Another word for commonwealth is citizen. That means when we weren't a citizen of Israel. We weren't considered Israelites. We didn't have a passport with our name on there. What that means is that we did not share the same privileges and blessings as the Israels there. So we did not have any blessings from God. God blessed Israel over and over again. We were strangers to the covenants of promise. Here the covenants of promise talking about the covenants God made with the nation of Israel. Covenants to covenants that God says he will love them and bless them. But through their blessing, he's supposed to be blessing the rest of the world. But these were covenants still made between God and Israel. And we were left out without any of these without any of these promises. We were strangers to them. Un- Abraham, David, those promises weren't that should be given to us. They were given to the Jews. And therefore, we had no hope. When we're talking about not having any hope, we're talking about not having a promise, not, not having the law, not having any Messiah, not having any identity. Ultimately, our hope is our identity. Right? It's what we look for. It's what we work for. Without any hope, what do we fight for? 
Right? Think about how this world struggles. This world is constantly fighting for, for hope of something, for hope of a family, for hope of a career, for hope of financial stability, for hope to make a name for ourselves. There is some kind of purpose and identity for ourselves. Right? This is why religions are created. And arguably nowadays, in America, work has become a religion. Right? Careers have been what we, what our culture constantly wants us to fight for, sacrifice our lives for. Careers are everything. I mean, think about just how hard you are working in school now. I know you guys are working hard because those are constantly your prayer requests. What is it that you fight for? Not saying that it's bad to work hard for it, but recognize what our culture is trying to tell us and teach us. And the fact that the culture is teaching us that and it's so hard to get a job shows us something about this culture. Right? We're, we're all searching for our identity. We're all searching for our identity. And so if we have no hope, and we also have no relationship with the one true God. Here, the phrase without God is where is one word in the Greek is where we get the word atheist. But atheist today, we the modern definition of atheist is one who does not, who, who denies God, one, right? one who doesn't believe that God exists and actually goes around evangelizing that belief to other people. But here, in this word, really, we're not talking about someone who denies God because in fact, Back then, there were people who created gods out of nothing, right? They believed in spirits. But they didn't have a relationship or knowledge of the one true God. And that's what Paul's referring to here. That there is no, they didn't know the one true God of the world. Instead, as Gentiles before Christ, we tend to form other gods, other idols, trying to wrestle, wring out any kind of hope we can grab from them. But we did not have a relationship with the one true God who created everything. So what is Paul's point here? Paul, Paul created man, right? I mean, he created all of us. He created every nation. Every single tribe, every single language, every single culture group. And he meant all of mankind to be his people. But sin damaged that purpose. Right? Sin separated us from God. And not only had sin separated us from God, but because of sin, our relationship with one another have been broken as well. Sin has, has damaged our image. God in us, and around us, and between us. The key phrase to pay attention to here is this phrase, in the flesh. In the flesh. In the flesh. That demonstrates the division between Jews and Gentiles. Here what it means is that this division is a physical earthly one. It's one that's marked by the hands of God, not 
by the hands of man. Right? Here we see that these hands are man's hands. This is a man-created division. This is complete opposite of what we see in verse 10. In verse 10, we see here that God, we are his workmanship. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. That is God's hand working in us. Here, this division by circumcision is made by man's hands. What I mean by this is that the law of circumcision was given by God. Right? God told the Jews, this is how I'm going to separate you in terms of, this is how we know you are my people. This is how the world will know. This mark of circumcision was a mark to show that I, that you are my chosen people. But this mark of circumcision was never meant to cause real hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles. It was meant to dis- make God's people distinct from the world. The hostility that grew between Jews and Gentiles, between Israel and the rest of the world, came from sinful and prideful hearts who forgotten that God did not choose them because they were special in any way. They they forgot in Deuteronomy chapter 7, where God tells Israel that, that you are my treasure possession. And, and they forgot, Israel forgot that God didn't choose them because they were they were massive numbers because they were strong. God didn't choose them because of any of that. God chose them because He loves them. He loves them. The Jews forgotten that. And so instead, as a result, they treated people who were not Jewish with contempt. They considered them unclean, unrighteous, outcasted from their society. Now, it's a little bit hard for us to kind of really truly understand this, especially in America where we, we want racial equality and, and that's a good thing. But let us think a little bit. Let's imagine. Imagine if a homeless guy into our church on Sunday. And, and this guy obviously isn't like one of us in this church. We're mostly middle class. Imagine if a homeless guy walks into our campus and, and asks if he can attend service. Would would any of you guys approach him? Would you guys decide to sit next to him? Or would we just hope that he would stay here for one service and not come back next week? What, what, what are your thoughts if that kind of stuff happened? That kind of person came on campus? Because, I mean, this has happened before in the past. And I remember even my own heart saying, I don't really want to associate myself with this guy. And people were a little bit wary, kept a distance about his intentions. What are, you, what are your thoughts during this time? Because that's exactly how the Jewish people treated the Gentiles. They, and especially during this time in the New Testament, when Gentiles suddenly entered the church, and were being saved by Christ, and they were now mixing in with Jewish Christians, I mean, that, there's a tension that started occurring there. That's why in Acts chapter 10, God had to teach Peter that Gentiles were welcome into the fold of God. 
what God did. He sent Peter to Cornelius, a Gentile, to share the gospel with him. This is what Peter says. In Acts chapter 10, verse 28, Peter says, Peter says to Cornelius, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. In other words, without this, without this lesson, God, Peter, an apostle, a Jewish apostle, will consider Gentiles dirty. So what does that mean for us? Well, as Gentiles, we're commanded here in verse 11 and 12 to remember. Right? That, that's the main command being placed here. That we must remember. Why should we remember this? So that we do not become puffed up with pride like Israel did. That we will not consider ourselves any more righteous than anyone else out there. That we recognize that we did not deserve this salvation that we have now today. And thus, in that way, in that humility, we will view all people with those same eyes. That we, that we recognize that we were all once blinded. Blinded by our sin, unworthy to be saved. And yet, even as unworthy and as dirty, as filthy as we are, God says, He chose you. He said to you, I love you. And I sacrificed my son for you. Not because we're of any worth but because God himself is love. When we realize just how little we are, that impacts how we relate to one another. What we see, what we see going on here is that God in Christ is fixing the biggest problem that we all have to deal with. Right, think for a moment your hard, your biggest hardships in your life. I mean, we, we, we struggle with school, struggle with grades. Some of us may be worried a lot about money, financial situations. Maybe it's worry about security, your safety, health. And even if we worry about all these things, all those things I talk about, you know, there's so much within our control, right? Grades just got to try harder. Money, find a better job. I don't know. With safety, we just, you know, put protection all around ourselves. There, there's, we can somewhat control all that. But when it comes to relationship problems, man, aren't those the hardest things that we always have to face? Because when it comes to relationship problems, when it comes to broken friendships, to broken families, we're often at our weakest and most helpless states. We recognize that dealing with that is so much harder than dealing with other problems. And that's why the gospel is so amazing. Because Christ did not just unite us back with God, but in Christ... He also found a way to unite us in harmony with one another. And so starting from verse 13, we begin to see then that our position changed. Our position changed in verse 13 to a harmonious position in Christ. 
Here, we see Christ turn our lives around. Right? Start in verse 13, starting with the word but. But now, today, your state now in Christ is much different than it was before. Paul here moves, moves on and talks about how then our salvation in Christ also resolves our relationship with one another. And he says here, beginning, that you who are once, once far off, meaning you who are once far off, you who are Gentile, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, a payment, a debt paid by Christ's blood. He brought us near to God and to one another. Here's how Paul describes our unity. Paul describes our unity in five different ways. Verse 14, he says, Here he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down his flesh a divining wall of hostility. So right here, Paul is saying that Christ has made us as one people without division. Here we, we pretty much see ourselves as one people. Why one people? Because there used to be this wall of hostility between who? Between the Gentiles and the Jews. But now that he has abolished, or in other words, nullified the commandments, the laws, that, that law that used to divide Jews and Gentiles, those man-made laws that, well, those God-made laws who man took and made it prideful and took it, used it the wrong way, that is now nullified so that Jews and Gentiles can be one, as one people, without any division. And here we've done that because Christ himself is our peace. Christ is not just a peacemaker, but he himself is the peace that bonds us together. Because he, he did all that in his flesh. He did all that in his flesh. In his flesh, he broken down the wall facility, ushering in a new covenant. And what used to separate us has now been fulfilled in Christ, in his body, in his flesh, so that we can all be united as one in him. And the second thing we see here is that Christ created in himself one new man in the place of two. So by making peace here, we have Christ created as one man with a new identity. We have a new identity in Christ. This is like saying Christ created a new race, a new ethnicity in his name. It's a race that isn't defined by skin color, isn't defined by location. It is defined by our identity in Christ. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul writes this. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And as Paul is saying this, this is true for all of us who have been saved. That we have all been crucified by Christ, and it is now Christ who lives in us. Christ's identity, then, that, that bounds all of us together. Christ impacts then every day of our lives. If Christ is the one who lives, that means Christ has now impacted our speech, our culture, our habits, our customs, the way we view this world. 
This is everything. Everything about who we are, our identity, now lies in Christ. So in Christ, we are made as one person, one person made whole to new personhood. And next then, we see that Christ has also reconciled us to God in one body through the cross. In other words, Christ's sacrifice has reconciled all of us to God. Here, Paul moves and shifts again from reconciliation to one another to reconciliation to God. And what's, what is notice, what we can notice about this, verse 16 here, is that here we are, have, we are reconciled in one body. One body. Meaning Christ here, when he died for us, he died once. He died once for us, for all of us. He didn't have to die multiple times for each one of us. But for all of us together, he died once. And in that one death, in that one sacrifice, He is able then to usher us to God, reconcile us to God, all of us. Our access to God is not just a personal one, it's a corporate one. We are the bride of Christ, redeemed together to be His forever. And we enter into God's presence, not as individuals, but as one unit. And then we find that Christ here, he came and he preached peace to you who are far off and peace to you who are near, meaning we are united under one message that Christ has, pre- that Christ has preached. Right Here, when we have peace, this represents one message, one gospel, by which we are united. Right? Paul makes it loud and clear here, that Christ preached the same gospel of peace to both Gentiles and Jews. Both Gentiles and Jews were not near God, or at least not near enough. They both needed the gospel. They were both in need of Christ. Christ here shows no partiality. Both Jews and Gentiles needed to be saved. And finally, in verse 18, we see the fifth way we're united, which is that we all stand before God in one spirit as children of God. I note here that we have access to the Father, meaning the Spirit, the Spirit is the one that empowers all of us. The Spirit is the one that revives us, but the Spirit is also the Spirit of adoption. The Spirit is what makes us children of God, so that we can call Him Father. The Spirit is what brings forth salvation, washes us, and adopts us into the fold of God. Think about it this way. We've all heard the phrase that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? And we find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. But what we have to understand is that not only is our bodies individually a temple for the Holy Spirit, but many times the context of those passages 
even the passage for that will be covered next week, saying that we will, it is, it's actually, in fact, all of us will be built together as a temple of the Holy Spirit. It's not just us, but this entire church, the universal church, all together, coming together as one group, being built up with one another to become the temple of one spirit, which is the Holy Spirit. Therefore, the Christian life isn't just a personal journey. The Christian life is a journey together as one group to come before God as one body. And so here we see then that in Christ we are indeed united as one. Right? There, throughout this passage, there's an emphasis of peace and there's, infinite, and there's an emphasis of oneness. But let's think for a moment about the implications of this truth. Let's just, let's just think a little critically and, and think about how then do we apply it to our lives. We know verses like 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says... Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. We, meaning, we were created new when we we're a new person when we come to know Christ. We covered the same concept last time in Ephesians chapter two, verse ten, where we where it says that we are His workmanship, right? Created in Christ Jesus, all of us created for the sake of good works. And in that new humanity, in that new creation that we all found, we are found dead to sin and alive to righteousness. And so many times, again, let's think again, let's think critically about the culture that we live in. In our Western culture, we will see this and we can emphasize many times that we have a new start to life, right? A clean slate. Live your life out with a new purpose and meaning. Live it out for Christ. And that is true. Definitely do that. But what tends to be missing in our understanding is that our newfound personhood is tied in with all the other saints around the world and throughout history. In other words, when we're created new, this new personhood is also joined together with everyone else in Christ. I mean, that's, there's no other way to read these verses when it says that we are created as one new man in place of two. What used to separate us in culture and language and skin color and food and customs, none of that matters anymore. We are one person with one identity, that is Christ. <clears throat> which means which means the local church matters, guys. Right? The local church matters. I mean, we, we can't physically know every Christian in the world, but we can know our local church body. This Christian life isn't meant to be played out alone. Our relationships with one another will demonstrate the peace that we have in Christ. And so, thinking through this, I want us then to think through, I have three applications that I want us to walk through. Three applications. The first one is that every broken relationship then can be reconciled. Meaning every broken relationship has the potential to be reconciled. Once we understand that our lives no longer belong to us, that we live for Christ and it belongs, our lives now belong to the church, belongs to the body of Christ, it takes the focus away from our own felt needs and focuses it on the will of God. Right? Once, 
once we see that of ourselves, once we, gen- once we have that humility to recognize how broken we are, how far we were from God, and how undeserving we are of God's grace, once that wall of pride is broken down, man, that is when we seek for peace, for forgiveness, for reconciliation. And that can occur with every broken relationship, especially the ones you have within church. And I know, guys, that there are probably some people, maybe in this room right now, that you just have a harder time talking to, relating to. Those relationships can be mended, and they can grow with grace. Now, obviously, reconciliation, it it takes two mature Christians from both sides, right? uh, Every broken relationship can't be broken if it's just one person trying to reconcile. But that doesn't mean you cannot take the first step. Every broken relationship can be reconciled. Second, your personal holiness matters to the whole church. If everything is connected, if our unity in the body is also tied into our unity underneath the spirit, then that means we're sharing this life together, guys. It means that your, your personal holiness matters not just for yourself, it matters to the church. It matters to the person sitting right next to you right now. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6 to 7, Paul is writing to the Korean church with just full problems. And, and one of the major problems of the Korean church was their division amongst each other. And here Paul says this in chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians. He says, your boasting is not good. Like, talking about pride again here. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven, and you may have a new lump, as you really are unleavened. The point here is that a leaven is like yeast. It's once it once it hits a, a lump of dough, the entire the entire lump now becomes leaven, meaning it starts expanding, growing, right. Therefore, in order to make unleavened, you kind of have to toss out the whole thing and create a new one, a new set of dough that's completely pure and undefiled by this by eleven. And and throughout scripture, they use this illustration, both Jesus and Paul uses this illustration of eleven dough to talk about purity, to talk about sin within the church. Paul here, specifically in 1 Corinthians, is talking, pointing out the danger of sexual immorality. That doesn't just affect one person. That sexual immorality in one person defiles the entire church. And so in order for a church to stay pure, every member has to be held accountable. Think about that with your own struggles with sin. It's not just a personal problem. It's a corporate problem. Which is why we stress so much about accountability, about small groups, about confessing sins to one another. Because we're all in this together. When, when one of us hurts, 
the rest of us hurt as well. Finally, this truth impacts the way we view unbelievers. It means that every person can be saved. It doesn't mean they will be saved, but they can be saved. There's still one division that matters between humankind. That division is this. There's a division between those who belong in the kingdom of heaven and those who do not. In the kingdom of heaven, we are united together by Christ our King. But for everyone else on the outside, they are separated from us, separated from God. They are instead lost to your sins, and they are considered enemies of God. But we, again, must view them with such humility and love for them. Because we were once like them. We were once enemies of God unworthy of salvation. And so while they may be on the outside, we must not refrain from bringing them into the fold of God, into the gospel, by bringing them the gospel of Christ. So think for a moment. Think of your worst enemy. I don't know if you guys have enemies, but think of someone that you hate before, that you felt the strongest like. I mean, I remember growing up, I was... I, I got bullied as you know at school by my friends. Um, well, I guess so-called friends. But I got bullied, right? And they would they would do things. And and I remember that there was one time when practically all my friends decided that I'll be the one that they'll pick on for the rest of that school year. This is like in elementary school, so you know, as kids, they're dumb. We're all dumb as kids. And, and but I remember feeling like, man, I I did not like this, right? It actually took me a while to forgive them for that. Think think about that. Think of someone that that you just have a hard time with. Think about the one random, I don't know, think about the one random Caucasian dude who who rubs you the wrong way because they just don't understand your ethnicity. Keeps asking you where you're from and starts speaking Chinese to you. Think about, think about the person, the classmate who's, who struggles with same sex attraction, who comes out of the closet, and now you're uncomfortable with them because you're not sure how they will feel about your beliefs. Think about your teachers who may deny Christ, disagree, and even hate Christianity. Let's think even broader. Let's think about our president who constantly speaks in controversial terms, right? Causing great divides amongst us nation. Think about him. Think about North Koreans who hate Americans. And our country hates them as well. And many times, in fact, we misunderstand them. Think about all these people whom we can tend to say, you know what, I don't know if they deserve Christ. Every single one of them are lost without the gospel. They fight, they bicker, they cry, and they're all broken. They have broken relationships, and but they are without hope. We aren't called to bring them the gospel because they deserve it. Because we sure didn't deserve it. 
We are called to bring the gospel because, because of the love and compassion God has shown us. Right? We were not once part of God's kingdom, but by His grace, His compassion towards us, He brought us into His fold. And therefore, we should do the same thing by recognizing how broken people are without Christ and how need they are of the gospel. The big idea of tonight's message is that Jesus Christ created a new identity for all believers, thus providing the ability to pursue peace and harmony within the church. Remember, remember that we are not to save for our own personal salvation from hell, from our sins, we are saved for a greater purpose because we're part of a greater body. If you're once without a people, you're now part of God's people. Your identity is not just yourself. Your identity is a corporate one underneath the identity of Christ, our Lord, our Savior, the one who sacrificed himself so that we can be brought near to God. With that, I'm go ahead and invite Angie up to lead us in one more song, and I'll pray for us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for thank you for tonight. We'll be able to go through Ephesians and, and learn, God, how you have been working through your Son to reconcile all people together under Christ. Most importantly, Lord, we, we thank you, God, that in Christ, we now have this peace that we can share and, and use to, to mend all broken relationships. That in Christ, Father, we can find ultimate redemption. Redemption from, in our relationship with you. Redemption in our relationship with one another. So, Lord, your gospel is beautiful because your gospel can heal all things. And we thank you, God, that you love us so much that you're willing to pay the price of our sins with your son. What a wonderful truth that is. Lord, you are love. You are good. Thank you, God. For such a great identity that we have now. So Lord, and may we then walk faithfully with you and walk with compassion and love for others. Pray all this in your holy and precious name. Amen.